Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to This Believe Land is Your Land. I am joined here by Mike Krupka, and we just sat through... Um, what people should only really get paid to do. We just sat through an entire uh, second preseason game from the Cleveland Browns, in which they seemed less than interested to, to play anybody of consequence. It seemed like a, a real nice setup for the Browns to kind of test their depth, see what's going on with the guys that are second and third down the chart, but it made for what was ultimately some kind of sloppy football. Uh, Mike, I'm glad you're able to, to, to come here and review this game. We can talk about the ups and the downs. Heck yeah, man. Um... I have to disagree a little bit. I mean, maybe just on offense, we didn't see the starters like Baker and Odell and Landry and those guys. But, I mean, we ran Higgins deep into the game. We ran our defensive line, our first defensive line guys deep into the game. I was a little surprised to see that. Uh, but, yeah, no, definitely uh, preseason football, getting ready. I mean, the game started at 10 a.m. over here for me, so it's just getting me ready slowly for those 7 a.m. <laughs> starts. Uh, but a little, little bit sloppy. Obviously, we came out with the W, but let's dive into it. Yeah, I, uh, it was actually a really enjoyable – for me at least, it was a really enjoyable game for the first half. Um, I was really interested to see if uh, Garrett Gilbert could continue to kind of put on tape what he did in preseason game one. Um, I was and – and I'll preface this by saying I watched the kid play at Texas, and it was kind of a dark era for Texas, the end of the Mac Brown era, but amongst a score of very forgettable – Texas quarterbacks, Garrett Gilbert was probably the most forgettable. He was not a guy that had a quote-unquote clutch bone in his body. Um, so to see him pop up on an NFL roster at all kind of kind of floored me. I thought it was like a Jeff Driscoll thing where they were like, oh, look, we found this tall guy who has played quarterback. Why don't we throw him on a roster? Okay. He has big hands. He must be good at this. Um, but in preseason game one, he looked really good. And in preseason game two, he looked even better. And he looked even better against, for all intents and purposes, a, a first-team defense for the Colts in pressure situations that it was not just uh, cover two the entire first half. They, they threw some pressures at him. They didn't throw anything exotic at him, but you know, they had guys in his face and they saw what he looked like when he had to move around in the pocket and throw with trash at his feet um, or on the run. And I thought that he and Jacoby Brissett for the most part made an entertaining first half of football. For sure. I, I mean, let's, let's just set the stage. I mean, <clears throat> You know, he came in from the, the the new American Alliance Football League or whatever the hell that name was. I honestly I can, forget most times what that stood for. I always just say right. that because I don't – I'm glad you remembered what it meant. I, I don't even know if I did successfully remember <laughs> what it meant. But, I mean, he came in from there and he did some good things over there, right? And so the Browns obviously brought in a couple players from that league that stood out. Right, and Yeah, he, he impressed me today. I'm, you know, sure, last week was kind of a flash in the pan, but to your point against – for all intents and purposes, the starters, uh, you know, obviously we're in preseason, but to see him go out there and put some of the throws in the places he did against those starting units that we talked about earlier in the week, you know, we were looking forward to seeing our guys practice against those guys, right? So 
um, yeah, really impressed with Gilbert. I, I tweeted it out there and I'll say it here on the show. I mean, he kind of earned that backup role for me today. I don't like Stanton whatsoever. Yeah. And Gilbert really went out there and, and wowed me today. So really impressed with, with what he did. And he probably could have even put up some better numbers without some of the, the drops and um, some holding penalties and things that kind of hindered some of the progress early in the, the first and second quarter. Yeah, the drops especially. I, I thought that for the first uh, couple drives, the team was not doing a great job supporting him. He had a lot of pressure, a lot of people directly up the middle in his face. And the wide receivers, especially the tight end group, kind of let this dude down. Uh, Demetrius Harris, get it together, bro. What's going on, man? Like, you spent the whole week kind of running with the number ones, uh, flexing and talking about uh, how you were underused and underutilized in, in Kansas City and how you're really looking at this opportunity. This is the first time he gets a run with the big boys and it was not a good look. He, uh, he, he ended at least one drive and I counted another big play, um, that was incomplete. And when you went back and look at the route he ran, he really rounded it off at the top. Didn't, didn't cut well. And then, um, as a result, the ball was, was in front of him. I thought that that was really on him. Um, and very quickly, I think Garrett Gilbert kind of migrated to throwing to more reliable receivers like TJ Montgomery, who just absolutely lit up the score sheet in the first half. Yeah, man, he had a great game. Uh, I, talking with Brendan Leister a little bit on, on Twitter during the game, he seems to think that he's going to be fighting for a, a, a practice squad role. I think given some of the tape and the flashes that he's been able to, to show, I mean, going up and high-pointing a ball last week versus the Redskins, some of the, you know, the, the, tight, the tight catches in space today, I think he might be viable, you know, fifth or sixth option kind of fighting for, for that spot. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens next week. But yeah, he, he impressed me again today. And yeah, I mean, Harris had that, what, he had that big drop. Uh, I forget, I think it was maybe second in, and I don't know what it was, but he had a big drop on that, that second down play. And then later on, um, during the second drive, he had that holding penalty. So yeah, he's got some cleaning up to do for sure. Yeah, not good. And that's not a, a depth. That's not a guy that you're hoping that can step in and take snaps in the event that David Njoku's banged up. The, that That is your number two tight end. And they brought him in here so that the, they could use him in the same role that they used Darren Fells last year. He's a guy that, that should see playing time on game day. So that, that was uh, a concerning performance uh, for Demetrius Harris. All in all, the, the Browns played well enough. They won the game. Um, I don't think that, that winning scores really predict anything in preseason football, as we saw from a Hugh Jackson 4-0 preseason last year. But um, yeah. I think that we're learning things about this coaching staff, and we're learning – things about the GMs and, and circling back to what you were just talking about. I think it's going to be a very interesting moment in uh, final roster cut downs to see what they do with these wide receivers, because it's going to be the first chance that we all kind of get to see how John Dorsey handles the potential of having players who are outperforming his draft picks. Uh, I know mm-hmm. Mac Robinson kind of alluded to Damian Ratley potentially starting the year on the IR eligible to return, but you're already basically going into camp one wide receiver up on what you normally would because you're not going to have Callaway's role or Callaway's roster spot counting while he's on suspension. So, so somebody's going to make the roster for four games just in, in that spot. But then you're also then looking at trying to bring a guy back week ten or so. And and things happen in the NFL. Guys get banged up, but I think it's going to be really interesting when you look at three guys and we'll use these three as the guy, we have a guy that was drafted in Ratley that was all size speed, had no production. We didn't know what he was going to turn into. And he looked raw as a rookie and they were hoping that he could develop and, and, and take a bigger role in year two. And we don't have any evidence to see that 
he's done that so far because he's been banged up, got hurt on the first day of camp. You have Derek Willis, who's been around and understands the system and under and has a rapport with Baker Mayfield, understands this offense probably better than most of these guys, um, who inexplicably today kind of dropped down to a lower spot on the depth chart. And I'm wondering if we'll hear about that later. And then you have TJ Montgomery, who to all intents and purposes is a different type of receiver. He's a big bodied kid. Um, and we're gonna have to find out um, whether they want to use preseason production as a guide over somebody like Willie's who may not have that same level of production preseason. Yeah, you bring up a good point in terms of we're going to kind of figure out where the rubber hits the road here with Dorsey. And, you know, as we get down to the final roster and to be honest, he's got a big decision ahead of him for Corbett. I mean, as we're talking about that wide receiver grouping, like you just mentioned, uh, you know, there's a lot of disparity there. You, you, you could really argue to go in any direction, uh, but to keep it with the wide receivers, I don't know why you would keep Ratley and put him in that position and not have at least tried. And maybe I don't know all the ins and outs enough of, of how it works, but uh, at least try to keep uh, the, the J- Michael Jackson receiver that we, that we cut because of injury. Cause I thought he was playing at a really high level. Lots of good reports from, from what he, you know, as an NFL receiver, he can definitely play, but he had the injury. So mm-hmm. Ratley hasn't showed you anything. So why wouldn't you try to keep him over Ratley? Again, it may be one of those, he's my draft pick things. We'll, we'll find out, but flipping back over to the offensive line side, uh, yeah, I mean, Corbett kind of played like trash again today, and it's really concerning. Yeah, so we're going to get into stock up and stock down from, from, from this preseason game, too. And in a lot of cases, we, we saw some guys that really flashed in game one that took a step back in game two, and we saw some guys that we just expected to see more out of. So um, you're hitting on stock down, number one. In general, the offensive line play today was, was pretty bad outside of the starters. Um, the second-string guys – in large parts got bum rushed and I saw that the scheme kind of put the Browns quarterbacks in a place where they were going to get the ball out of their hands quickly or they had a defined read to the middle of the field if they didn't and I think a large part of that is because that line couldn't be trusted and they shuffled it a lot so stock down offensive line is specifically stocked down Austin Corbett who just can't seem to get it together I saw seven or eight really tough snaps balls that were kind of fluttering that were all over the place um, one of them led to Garrett Gilbert spiking the ball because he, he had to jump up into the right just to even get a hand on it. And this is a yep. guy that, that played the entire preseason game one, played the entire preseason game two, took plenty of snaps at center last year where they were already starting to groom him for this backup center role. When do, when do you expect the light to go on for a guy who's been doing this for over a year? This isn't brand new. I guess it's brand new to him in terms of his professional playing career, but you'd think at this point he'd have the snap count down at least. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, I'm, I made a comment earlier during the game. Again, if uh, if Coach Campen can't fix you, then you're kind of in trouble, right? Yeah, right. Um, a lot of people that I respect in their grading of offensive line way more than mine, uh, you know, are are concerned about Corbett. Mm-hmm. I'll say something that is off the field that was just extremely concerning to me, just the way I perceived it. But during the building the Browns episode, and I may have mentioned this in the last podcast just came off really weird. Like yeah. he didn't, didn't seem to have any sort of a, a dog in him. You know what I mean? Like he, he just seemed like a really weird, lame type of a guy that didn't fit <laughs> in the room. And didn't really have the, the, the fight in him. Like I said, the yeah. dog in him. Yeah. That dude definitely drives like a hundred Hyundai Elantra or something. Like he is a geo tracker. I don't yeah. know what, but, <laughs> but yeah, sleep, no, he's still just... sleeping in a twin bed on twin on star Wars sheets. He's just a, uh, no fighting that dude. 
Yeah, he just seems soft, and you're kind of seeing it, you know, in, in his play as well. You, you're seeing him just kind of get owned and uh, just having to come back from poor technique. And, yeah. you know, e- even just the simple snapping of the ball, that's a really simple thing to get down. And yeah, you get to practice it, of course. But, you know, in terms of learning things, it's year two. It's something you should definitely have under your belt by this point. So, yeah. you know, certainly stock down for him. Just, I don't know what we're going to do if he continues to play like this because it's exactly uh, what we're going to do. He's going to be yeah. on somebody else's practice squad, is what we're going to do. Like, he, he's in danger of not making this team. I guess that's my point is I don't know what he's going to do because he's running out of opportunity, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I, I find myself arguing back and forth about Austin Corbett. And, and there's two, there's two pretenses of this. And like the, the protagonist side of this, the pro Corbett side says, look, you're drafting a guy at the top of the third that, physically matches a lot of the same profile as Joel Batonio. You already saw lightning strike with this guy first. He's a guy with high-end athleticism that can move, that's good in a scheme, that emphasizes outside zone runs, things like that. He's a guy that, that should be really good and should give you a little bit of the flexibility you did not have with Kevin Zeitler. And if you were drafting him to play somewhere along the interior, knowing that he had the the sheer athleticism and the, and the profile to play interior offensive line. Great. Uh, the, the negative side of that is why are you drafting a guy at 33 that is going to play on the interior of your line? How is the scouting department? Are you coming into this believing that you might be able to turn him into a left tackle and how right. do you miss what you're talking about? Cause I agree with you. I think that he is soft. I think that when you see him on game tape, his, his technique slipped almost immediately. You just do not see the stuff that they're trying to coach up in camp. And you see him getting trucked physically, which for a guy that is an elite NFL specimen, shouldn't be getting trucked in the fourth quarter of preseason games. Right. My guys are going to be bagging groceries, and he is. So Right, right. And, and to your point, I think it's, it's an interesting dichotomy where the process leads us to an outcome with great players in certain rounds, in certain situations, and obviously yeah. in others, it doesn't. And obviously that happens, and we know that. That's, that's not lost on us. However when you're dealing with second round picks, early second round picks and early third round picks, that, that process should be pretty ironclad and it shouldn't be such, you know, such a shoddy outcome. Um, like we're seeing with, you know, the, and Chad Thomas is, is flashed a little bit. Obviously he was injured. That's why he didn't play today. Certainly excited to see if he can come back next week. Cause he did show a, a lot of progress. Obviously his mm-hmm. starting point was very low based on 2018. However, yeah. I was excited to see what he could bring to the table. However, Corbett has been kind of steadily just uh, disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to understand that process and, and why it led us to Campin – or sorry, to, to Corbett. And, uh, yeah, you bring up a good point. Yeah. Uh, on a stock-up note while we're talking about offensive line, uh, tell me about what you saw from uh, player X today because – he was a guy that I'd identified before the game. We talked about it in the last pod that I was really looking forward to seeing play over the last two days. Freddie Kitchens has had a lot of positive things to talk about him. Um, Chad Forbes was a late round pick out of a small school and you can't really expect anything from those guys because the, the transition to the size and speed that a seventh round small school guy gets to what he's seeing, even from third string NFL defensive lineman is enormous and those are guys that you draft in the hopes that they are projects that can begin to bear fruit in subsequent years. However, he's very quickly moving up the chart, and we saw him get a couple first-team reps at guard this week. And I felt like from what I saw today that he was handling his own. What did you see? Yeah, I think he's a guy that has always been at least noted for being kind of having a mean streak on the field. And mm-hmm. I think 
I think we saw that today. And I think he had a, a pretty steady day today at guard. I, I thought he was holding his own. I thought he was doing some good stuff. Um, he was moving well in space. He was getting to the second level at times. I, I also saw him miss some, some blocks and, and not having enough speed or enough anticipation to get to the, to the right fit um, yeah, at yeah. the second level. But yeah, I really, I really liked what I saw from him overall from a development standpoint. He's certainly a guy that's going to be in the mix with the kind of the demise of, of Corbett for, uh, for his serious reps, especially in game three here um, at, uh, at whether it's guard or left guard or right guard or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think we're done seeing Corbett playing snaps at guard. I think that this week and going into preseason game three, they're going to have him focus almost exclusively on center because right now Cush is kind of your emergency center. You know he's played there before. He has enough experience to play in case of emergency. So he is your developmental guy there. And they're going to be looking for a guy to play at the guard spot. So I think it's really – I think he is going to be the high-end guy. Or they're going to be dumpster diving for other teams' cuts to get those other guards. And with a guy like Campin, you can do that. You can dumpster dive. You can get some guards and help turn them around, kind of like what they did with Greg Robinson. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly – it's been surprising this week. I mean, before this week in camp anyways, Forbes is kind of like, is he even going to make the roster kind of a, a guy, right? He's mm-hmm. kind of been in that space. And then after this last week or so of camp, he's kind of bubbled up as, yeah. okay, this, this guy's improving. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see again with these preseason games and the more snaps you can give these types of guys who, you know, you can see them having potential, but can they really do it? Uh, it's, it's, an, it's a very important time for them, and Forbes is, is definitely taking advantage of that situation. Yeah, and it shows like how little we really know about the, the way these guys are improving and the way that these guys are ascending through the depth chart. That was a conversation that was being had regularly amongst Brown's media members is don't get attached to Chad Forbes. I know he's a great story, and everybody read his pre-draft profile. Everyone loved the Player X stuff, which if you haven't read it, is a really great read. He seems like a really good guy really fun family story, but he's a late round offensive line pick. And those guys don't usually pan out. And then literally like two or three days later, now he's getting first team reps. We don't really know what these guys are being coached and how quickly they're translating what they're being told into execution on the field. We only have results on the field. We only have what we see. And in this case, we'd seen good things. We'd seen good tape, um, but we didn't think that there would be a lot of opportunity. And it appears that there's also some opportunity that's coming along with it. Uh, a guy that, generally did have a lot of opportunity today and did not uh, come up looking as, as rosy as he did in game one and in, pre, in, in, in training camp were the Browns' fourth and fifth round draft picks, Sheldrick Redwine and Mac Wilson. I don't mean to lump these two guys together because I felt that the performance from Mac Wilson was generally good. It just wasn't as sterling as we'd seen up to this point. And uh, Sheldrick Redwine was an absolute catastrophe on the field. So I'm just kind of lumping them together as coverage guys who really struggled today. And when that second and third team in the second half came out in coverage, it was it was bad back there. Yeah, let's start with let's start with Wilson because I thought I thought he played okay today. I didn't think he yeah, played great. I don't think fair. he played bad. I, I think he certainly did some things more. He he was more you know more tape. We got to see him do things that he did again in game one mm-hmm. uh, and some things that I didn't catch in game one that I saw him do in game two that kind of got me excited, but he's always around the ball. That's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. Sure. He can, he can tighten up some stuff, but I, again, generally I, I would say that he kind of was just a middling type of a day for him, but Sheldrick Redwine, on the other hand, man, <laughs> I, I think I caught like 
at least four or five missed tackles. He got owned in the red zone and man-on-man versus Ebron and then versus their backup tight end. I think he probably should have got a, a, a holding penalty on that one, but someone else got called for holding. He just had kind of a, a bad day, let's just say. Um, and, and it's and really very for noticeable, his- really, when you, because he's got those dreads. It's very easy to pick him out when he is out of position on the field. Yeah, I mean, whether it's that or whether for me it's the the, the double digit, you know, thirty three. It's easy for me to pick that out. But uh, yeah, he he just had a bad day, and I don't know if that's just you know learning learning bumps. And as he as he gets into the NFL here and gets more reps, if it's just translating, you know, what what his responsibilities are on the play, or if he's just reading the play wrong. But I got to go back and, and rewatch. But from my first, yeah, just from the first watch through. You're just out of position too much, uh, was missing tackles too much, and just in coverage was was not what I expected him to be. Yeah, yeah, me either. Um, stock up, though, and I talked about this uh, a little bit on Twitter during the game, that starting defensive line, even without Miles out there, was <sighs> a beast today. That was the first time you really got to look at what they look like. And the people who have been in joint practices all week have said that the Browns' offensive or defensive line going up against a Colts offensive line missing Quentin Nelson just absolutely gave it to him. We had been given up to him all week, had just overpowered him all week, and you saw it on tape today. They bum-rushed Jacoby Brissett and had that dude running for his life on every snap. Really fun to see. Yeah, it was, it was great to see almost the entire gang together. You got, the, you got your first real look at Vernon. Uh, you got your first look at Richardson in the preseason. And again, those guys played quite a few snaps. Um, and yeah, they absolutely brought it. And that's what we anticipate seeing for most of the year. Uh, really exciting to see them get that pressure. Really excited to see Larry get that internal um, inside pressure. Uh, got held. Would have had a sack, you know, regardless. But he got held across the neck on that play. Uh, just really, just really, we're seeing what we had anticipated seeing. So that's exciting from them. And as you go down the list, really, too, there was a lot of wins, I think, on the depth side as well that we can talk about later. I don't think Devereaux Lawrence had as great of a game as he did in the first game, but yeah. I thought there were some other guys that, that flashed. Um, Ekuwale, I, I saw him you know, really flash maybe a handful of plays, maybe six plays, where he got some great penetration, was able to, uh, to shed his, his, uh, his, you know, the offensive lineman and, and get in the backfield or at least produce a pressure or I mean, not a pressure, but was at least able to shed that lineman and, uh, again, have a clear line for the quarterback. So that's what you want to see. Yeah, he, he's a guy that the training staff and the Browns media correspondents have been very big on. They've talked about Ekwale religiously throughout the offseason as a guy to keep an eye on. So it was nice to see him playing a little bit better. It was nice to see DeVar Lawrence playing. He, he, you know, he was a guy that was carted off the other day in practice. We right. didn't know if he was going to miss uh, an extended chunk of time. He's obviously not 100%, but he's still out there grinding, and I thought he played pretty well, I think, considered. It was really, really good to see that his injury wasn't serious. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I was happy to see that. Obviously, it was, was it neck strain, I think, that he had, something like that. Um, he had a knee. He had a knee. Sorry, next train was was Chad Thomas, but right. yeah, it was good. It was good to see him out there. Maybe that was hindering him a little bit because he didn't seem as explosive or as powerful as he did in Week One. But yeah, just great to see him out there getting some more reps and and knowing that he's you know not uh, seriously dinged up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other small notes. Stock up. I really liked Johnson, third string running back, RB three. I think that he kind of cemented his place on the roster in in that spot. Uh, he. 
he doesn't get cheated. He's a guy that really, really has a whole hard, decisively. He doesn't stutter step. He doesn't uh, mince his feet coming into the pocket. He sees it and he moves. And he got he got rolled up a couple times early, and then you saw it start to pay off later on in the second half, in the second quarter and into the third quarter. He he had some big runs. I think he had two or three uh, ten plus yard runs, and uh, he had a, he had that great touchdown catch from his AAF teammate. Garrett Gilbert in the first half. So I think that all in all, you wanted a guy that was going to be versatile enough to where you, he could play some snaps in that Hilliard role, should he need to be, but also can withstand the ground, the 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 the, the pounding from uh, a full complement of scrimmage snaps. And you saw that from him. He played well. Yeah, I thought almost more importantly than any of that, because I, I liked him coming out and was surprised that he didn't get a, a chance to really stick uh, during what would, what should have been his rookie season um, in the NFL anyways. But what, what I liked from him is his ability to pick up blocks. It seemed like he was pretty, you know, pretty keyed in on, on what his responsibility was in the pass pro um, game. Obviously, like you mentioned, he's got that single cut and go just really, hard-nosed mentality uh, from a running back. I think he's got some wiggle and some decent vision. That's at least what I saw on his college tape, and I kind of am seeing it now in the first couple preseason games. So, yeah, I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head in saying that he's probably going to be RB3 for us uh, until Hunt comes back, and that, that gives me a level of comfort because, again, I know and I feel that he can kind of bang it between the tackles. Uh, you know, he can run it outside. He can pick up pass pro. And it just gives us that 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 depth that we've been looking for. Sure, I want to see some more snaps from him again. Got to see a lot more as we go through the preseason to to really gain that confidence. But um, excited by what I've what I've seen so far. Yeah, I would also really like to see him look capable returning kicks or punts. They've rotated him in there a little bit, and I really don't want the Browns to have to spend a a 53-man roster spot on a dedicated returner. I get that you can right. when you have a, a roster that's as mature as the Browns roster is, but I'd really like to see them be able to carry six wide receivers that, that are all good receivers because you're stashing them in the event of an injury. Right. You have a lot of guys that, that have an injury history, so you'd like to see them be able to stash six usable receivers without using a, a roster spot necessarily on a guy who's a dedicated gunner or get dedicated return man. So they're going to have to see some stuff from him. Look for him in preseason game three to – for, for how he's doing on specials because if he they have any real designs on him being rb3 he's gonna have to play specials and they're gonna have to see what he looks like in that not just as a returner but also in coverage and uh kick blocking yeah and he did that in college too he you know he was returning kicks in addition to obviously filling that role as the the running back um so he can do it and i think your point is it again is spot on and something that that i would have shared as well is that you, you got to have that returner guy he can, you know, that can do multiple things for you. He can't just be a dedicated returner, um, regardless of how mature your roster is. That's just my uh, my take on it, unless he's some sort of a superstar. Yeah, like Slater know. type or a Bad Mosey or a Cribs, a guy who's, who's, who's really an elite player on special teams. Did you just say Bad Mosey? No, okay, special teams, got it. Yeah, oh, no, 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 that, that, that is the extent of <laughs> – I still bear all the scars from having to watch him play as like your third cornerback for a full season. Right. I was like, wait a minute, that, that's not matching up. That's not computing. <laughs> got his, and I saw him uh, continue to play in the league after he left the Browns. He, he was a great special teams player. We, he just should never be expected to do anything other than special teams. And so keeping things moving along here, I, I was happy to see Avery in the game today. Yeah, me um, too. Good to see him healthy and back on the field. 
yeah, healthy back on the field, kind of filling that role that we talked about last week on the podcast, coming off the you know the edge with his hand in the dirt, uh, made some good shoestring tackles. I I call them chasing down the, the running back or the wide receiver. Uh, he, he had a couple good plays where he's bending the edge and, and not quite getting to the quarterback, but looking like the Avery that was able to bend the edge and get to the quarterback last year. So just happy to see him on the field, happy to see him contributing. Don't know how he'll grade out for the day, but again, just um, it was good to see him back in the mix. It was funny to see people drawing conclusions from the fact that he was getting run with third stringer and thinking, oh my goodness, this is a guy that's that his availability has been questioned and he's got to put on some good tape here. Jannard Avery is a, is a starting defensive lineman. He is the fifth defensive lineman on this team. They will see him a lot in sub packages this year. He's very talented. He's very versatile. Don't read anything into him playing with third stringers, please. Uh, all seven listeners, please understand that he is a dude that is going to get plenty of run. And he was basically just out there with third stringers so that he could work himself back into uh, game playing shape because he's missed a lot of camp with, with uh, soft tissue type stuff. Yep, correct, correct. I, I don't think any sort of th- – this has no bearing on his usage and his intention for the season at all. <laughs> uh, one last stock down. we got to talk about it. The Browns kicking game is going to make me run screaming from the building. Like, it is literally going to make me hit my head on something in the middle of a game. It is like a dueling banjos or dueling piano <sighs> situation where they're just, like, trying to one-up each other looking shitty. Like, I get it. These are really long field goal kicks. Both Joseph and Siebert had long kicks, but this isn't right. a dome. Right. It's not defensive linemen that are trying to hurdle the offensive line to block it. It's a pretty low stress situation compared to trying to kick a game winning field goal in a game that matters. Neither one of these guys looks like they're it. They're, they're, they're going to have to do something about this at this point. Yeah, it's, it's getting to that point. It's, it's extremely uh, frustrating, I suppose, that the – the basis of picking a kicker in the fifth round was how the ball sounded coming <laughs> off his foot. And we won't, we won't let that live itself down ever on this podcast, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's becoming a concern. And we brought up just how important it is on the last podcast as well. Maybe two podcasts ago in terms of, you know, kickers who are in the bottom third of the league, the, the, the results do not uh, excite you in terms of how those teams performed down yeah. the stretch, the, the yeah. playoff winning percentage, their overall winning percentage, those types of things. It, so kicking matters. And these guys kind of going out there, like you said, in conditions that are controlled with no wind, right, off right. the turf, it's, uh, it's extremely concerning. Yeah, it's, it's extremely concerning. And I'm not sure what we're going to do or who we're going to decide to ride with, but um, it's going to be a very important decision for us. Um, yeah. Yeah, cancel, can't either cancel these kickers or cancel kicking. Those are your options. Exactly. Grove from over the point dealer or wherever he's at now was asking what we do about this now. What do we, what do, we do about the kicking situation? What are your options? And obviously option A is you go get another kicker. You find a guy who's been cut. You find a guy who has been in the league for 10 years and just needs a change of scenery. Maybe a Bailey. I don't know. Or option B is you just you don't rely. And you saw this with Dreamboat, Dreamboat Kicker a couple of years ago. They just didn't let him kick from outside of 30. If you were between the 50 and the 30 and you were looking at a field goal situation, you just either went for it or punted. And yep. an offense that is as good as the Browns is, they should just be going for it if it's, if, it's, if it's short yardage situations. And we talked about this exact same idea on the show maybe three weeks ago. Um, we talked about, hey, what happens if we do have a shitty kicker? And yeah. 
because we did. I was like, hey, here. I think I think Freddie's going to be aggressive with Baker and with the the complement of of skill players that we have. I think yeah. if you're inside the the forty five or inside the fifty, we're, we're going to go for it. That's it. We're going to go for it on fourth down. We should go for it. You know, after touchdowns, try to score eight points instead of seven. Just yeah. just do it. I mean, that's that's the reality. I think that we're going to be in is if we have this aggressive offense, who maybe we do play high tempo the majority of the time. We're going to keep teams on on their heels. We're going to tire them out, and we're just going to continue to try to just just onslaught of points on you all game. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. I'm here to see that, but it's going to be a challenge to execute that. Obviously, week in and week out. Yeah. For those of you that haven't seen it and are, are would like to see the video that Mike is referencing, I just reposted it on Twitter at Josh Finn. Check it out. It's originally from Brendan Leister, and it is a press conference as they try to discuss what the rationale is for picking a kicker. And the entire rationale in this case was this dude has a really great sound. The ball sounds nice coming off his foot. So please go back and take a look at that. Man. Yeah. I'm not going to – okay. So let me just throw this out there, right? Like I played – I was a goalkeeper. I played soccer at some really high levels. And I can can agree that when a goalie drop kicks a ball, it makes a certain sound. And when the guys that can kick the ball the entire freaking field – hit that ball, it makes an incredibly different sound than someone who doesn't. But that doesn't mean anything. And the same thing for kicking. It might sound great, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything, man. It's doesn't mean anything. That, that being the basis or the basis that they try to spin and sell the pick with was uh, just incredibly poor tactics. Yeah. Clean up the, uh, clean up the analytics there. Clean up the scouting. Um, we're Again, gonna what, what, what's the process, right? Like that's what we talked about. What, what process led you to yeah. that guy? Yeah. What process led you, what was the thing that incentivized you to pick Chad Thomas in third round? What was the process for spending a draft pick on a kicker in the first place when we know that the returns on drafting kickers are marginal at absolute best. And for the most part, all the best ones in the league were not drafted. So look at, look at the process that leads you to these decisions. Look at the process for why you thought you could turn Austin Corbett into a left tackle. Look at these processes and figure out where you can adjust those because the hits have been good. This isn't a critique of John Dorsey. The hits, the, the, the players that he's hit on have been incredible, but the players that he's missed on have been Fran Mil Reyes level wind generation swing and a miss. They are, they're big cuts that we were missing on. So I would like, and, and that's going to happen when you have 10 picks, you're going to take some, some big cuts and you're going to miss, but understand why you missed so that as you begin yep. to draft pick later, and that's what the Bill Belichick's of the world do. They evaluate their process every year and they say, these are the type of players that we're looking for. And Bill misses on a lot of players too, but even when he misses, he finds usable functional players in his system for the most part. He, he picked them for a reason and, and he continues to roll with those. Yep. And I won't beat a dead horse. I'll just say again, second and third round picks, they should be serviceable. They should be on your roster and they should be contributing. They shouldn't be like, wow, this guy just doesn't even fit. That's that's the that's the head scratch and that's the concern that, that I have walking away from those two specific well three specific players if you include the kicker this year. Yeah, your third round offensive lineman should be Sean Laval. And obviously positions are different, but you want a guy that can play at an average level or better for a five to ten year stretch in the NFL. If if you're in if, if you're drafting a position that has a high hit rate, yep, in the second or third round which, you know, running backs have them, offensive linemen have them. Um, defensive linemen who aren't expected to be pass rushers typically have them. Um, so we're going to take a quick break here, allow our sponsors to do their thing, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about week three in dress rehearsals and what we expect. 
Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are, uh, we're going to move on from this game because honestly, like I wanted to move on from this game about 15 minutes into it. I, I, I guess that makes me a homer and I get, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I was kind of bummed that Baker didn't play. I was kind of bummed that Miles wasn't out there. And it just felt like after the initial energy of Garrett Gilbert left the field, it was just a typical preseason game. It was sloppy. There's a lot of penalties. There was a lot of punting. There wasn't a lot of offensive execution. There weren't any razzle-dazzle plays. Um, so I'm over it. And I'm moving on to the, the third game where typically in the historic fashion, this was your dress rehearsal and your starters typically play about a half. Do you expect to see that in game three? Or do you think that they're going to continue to keep everyone on these kind of rigid pitch counts that they've had so far? It's a great question. I think it's going to be an important question for, for Coach Kitchens as he looks at his, you know, his first major, uh, I think, uh, impasse, if you will, or crossroads as a, as a coach. I, I think he's been very aggressive and he's kind of set the expectations and set the tone so far in terms of you know, making players be tough and, and toughing it out and, and really earning uh, the, the roles that they've been given on the team. At the same point in time, you look around the league and there's a lot of players, a lot of really good players that are sustaining injuries. I mean, Derwin James is done for three months. Just yeah. To, just I'll first it that. comes off my – right. Um, and what, uh, Keenan Allen again with he – had a, he had an ankle or something. I mean, there's just a lot on the line for the, for the entire season for a team that now has huge expectations uh, to go out there and, and, you know, run – OBJ for the whole first half when there's no need for him to be taking hits. There's no need for any of that stuff. So I want to put him in bubble wrap, to be quite honest, and I don't want him to play. I would expect uh, Baker to maybe get a series or two and then sit down. But outside of that, I mean, I think we just have to be careful and be smart. Same thing with, with Miles Garrett. Same thing with some of the stars like Denzel Ward 
Mm. You just got to be smart about what we do for this quote unquote, just rehearsal game. I think, you know, putting it in perspective, Jake made a great point on Twitter today about the college game. College game just jumps right into it. They don't have preseason, right? And so why do we make the the best athletes in the world at the sport play four preseason games where they risk injury before it actually matters? So I get that there's a lot of value in in making the players run out there. They're probably gonna they're probably gonna play most of them, but I I don't really want to see OBJ for more than a series or two if if he goes out there at all. And the same thing for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, it seems like today the word around the streets was that we're just not gonna see OBJ in the preseason. That it's highly unlikely that we see him at all. That he'll just be ready to go week one. Um, I think that they are probably gonna continue to play Miles Garrett on those kind of pitch counts. I don't expect that you'll see him for more than a series or two. Um, I do expect to see a little bit more Baker than we did in this game. There obviously wasn't much value in playing him after a week of joint practices where you saw what you needed to see. But I think that for that final tune-up with starters, um, you'll, you'll see a little bit more of Baker behind that starting offensive line this week. I would like to see the Browns sort the log jams in week three. And I think that that's what they're going to focus on. I think that you have a lot of competition at a, a at very few spots. I think they got to figure out who all of their defensive linemen are that they're going to keep. And they have to figure out mm-hmm. their situation between their linebackers and their safeties, because they're going to run this four two five primarily. And they have to figure out whether that means they're going to keep more safeties. They're going to keep more linebackers and who those guys are going to be. You have a lot of similarly talented individuals behind the initial starters. And that is a position of, uh, kind of weakness for these Browns defenders. So they're going to have to figure out who fits in there. I'm not sure how many safeties they'll end up keeping because they might consider Murray as kind of a slot guy versus a, you know, a standard DB versus a safety. But that, that those are the positions that I really think that we're going to need to see a lot of in game three. And I think that we're going to need to see a lot more of the kickers if they're hoping to keep any one of them around, which hopefully they don't. Yeah, definitely a hundred percent accurate. Well, no pun intended on the kickers. Um, <laughs> oh. Sorry, couldn't, couldn't help that one. That one just sort of flowed off the tongue. But yeah, I think linebacker, there's going to be some interesting snaps in game three. Uh, wide receiver, we talked about that stack already. Some players are definitely going to be vying for a roster spot. Uh, you know, in terms of the defensive backfield, I think we've got a lot of talent there, man. It's going to be interesting to see what we do with the likes of a guy like Gaines, who I, was just I thought say. he played... Yeah, he played pretty well today, and he played pretty well last week. I mean, he didn't play bad. Let's just put it that way. And it's great to have a guy with that sort of talent and ability uh, from a depth perspective. So it's going to be interesting to see what we do with him. Uh, I thought Burnett played good. He set the edge on a, on a big play early. Uh, Murray played really well today. He was in the backfield on a sack, and you know he's making some some good tackles like you'd expect from that strong safety position. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the back end of the safety and defensive backfield kind of uh, filters out. And then def- defensive line. I, I want to know who those, those depth guys are. Is it, going to be, uh, is it going to be Smith? Is it going to be Ekwale? Is it going to be Lawrence? You know, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Thomas? Who are those and, and how many of those are we going to, are we going to hold on to? Uh, at the same point in time, on the other side, offensive line, I want to see more Forbes. I want to see what he looks like. Um, I want to see more of uh, of Lamb on the outside. 
Uh, I want to see what Greg Robinson looks like and Hubbard looks like. Can Hubbard kind of clear up some of those false starts that we saw today that, you know, you were cautioning about from week one <laughs> that we finally saw this week. So I think it was the first play too. It was one of, it was, it was one of the first three plays that he had that super early jump and he did that multiple times in game one and they called him on it this week and I said, Oh, okay. Like we're not just letting that ride. Right, right. That was really not just going to. I actually liked what I saw out of Lamb today. I saw him on a couple runs uh, where he sealed off uh, points of the line and made big holes out of it. So it'd be interesting to see if he can continue to to flash and continue to stand out because what I saw from him today was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, let's just keep it going too. I want to see more Gilbert. Sure. Give me Baker Mayfield, like I said, for maybe a couple drives. If they give him a whole quarter, great. Whatever. I'm going to just. You know, trust Freddie with that one, but I want to see more Garrett Gilbert before I see any uh, of Stanton. Because to be honest, again, I, I think he earned it today against the starters, and I think it speaks to uh, just again how competitive he is that he was able to compete in the league he was in, come in, you know, given given that experience and perform like he did versus NFL starters today, albeit in the preseason. So give me more of him in Week Three, and uh, yeah, yeah, I gotta have more Cowbell. I gotta have more Garrett. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> he's a, yeah, he, he might be the number one, uh, not the number one. He's, he's in the top couple uh, things to watch in game three. See if he can continue to keep this, this train rolling because he was, he was brilliant today. Yep. He, and then, I mean, Ty Montgomery too, I think again, can, can he continue to, to make, sorry. Yes. TJ Montgomery. Can he continue to make those, uh, big plays and snag balls when in, in tight spaces and, uh, he's going to be clawing for a roster spot. So. Absolutely. So, so good places to be in. I feel like there's a lot less to know. A couple other notes. Um, I'd like to see some of the uh, penalties that we saw in the second half get mm. cleaned up. I'd like to see the discipline come back through the first game and a half. It was a very different Browns team that we saw. We saw a much better emphasis on fundamentals, tackling, uh, on not committing holding penalties, on not no false starts, things like that. And then all of that kind of went by the wayside, I felt like, after that. Um, so I'd like to see a return to that in game three. I'm going to throw something out there, and this isn't meant to be a shot at Mr. Schwartz, but it's funny that this week, you know, Jeff Schwartz was saying how the Browns practicing fighting was a bad thing and how, you know, good teams don't practice penalties and, you know, good teams don't do the type of stuff that would hurt them in the games. And then he was kind of backing up Coach Reich that, you know, Coach Reich would never do that. And, you know, this is a kind of against what the the standard and the traditional NFL mindset is from a coaching perspective mm-hmm. and then you go out today and I think the Colts had like 20 penalties today for like 200 <laughs> yards and it, it the Browns had yeah. a score of penalties too but for the most part they were some pretty ticky tack penalties the, the kind of things that Schwartz was referencing were things like the helmet to helmet hit um on Mac Wilson where he kind of um grazed him after the guy got hit into him and you saw the um the 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 defensive lineman uh, Wyatt Ray tapped the quarterback on the head as he was coming by because the ball hadn't been touched down. They hadn't blown the play dead and he was trying to tap the player down while right. he was on the ground. So, so it was personal conduct penalties that weren't driven from any kind of personal conduct or, or misplaying. So yeah, it was, it was very funny to see the textbook example on how to play the game the right way, just completely immolating themselves. Exactly. Exactly. So the Browns should be off tomorrow. As I understand it, I haven't looked at their practice schedule. It seems unlikely that they would have day after day practices two weeks in a row. Um, and then they'll be back to the playing field. You'll see a lot less media coverage this week because the Browns will start to get ready for their game day prep mode. Um, 
And so they'll start to get into the, the regular routines. And that's why week two is the last kind of throwing stuff at the wall uh, opportunity that you're going to have. Because from this point forward, they're really going to be focused on getting team ready to play in week one and getting into the normal routines that they'll use to get ready. Yeah, looking forward to, like you said, that that typical uh, pre, I guess, pre- preparation cadence that the Browns are going to be in for, mm-hmm. for this game is going to be more uh, more normal, like it would be from a weekend to week out uh, standpoint. So looking forward to see kind of how we, and, and if we uh, kind of scheme some stuff up this week and it uh, it's going to be fun to see the starters together for at least a drive or two and everyone just stay healthy and Go Browns, man. Yeah, man. And I will, I will close on this note. This team's scheme is good. You mentioned uh, scheming things up. The reason that you're seeing guys like David blow it all away and Garrett Gilbert look successful is because they're going in there with a good game plan, and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm excited that the Browns continue to scheme well. There isn't anything that I see on tape, at least through two preseason games, that jumps out at me as being egregious scheme errors. Getting guys open on offense – they're uh, shifting protections correctly, and on defense, it seems like it's cogent. It seems like they're bringing rushing, bring, bringing rushers from the right place, and they're leaving defensive plays to be made on the field rather than uh, hoping that somebody can be a superhero and come out of nowhere to make tackles. Yeah, it's refreshing. We talked about how, starting really when Freddie took over last year, how the offense seemed to be – uh, designed to help it, yeah that too but it was designed to help the quarterback understand and and get into that pre-snap read very quickly and, and know where the ball needs to go and mm-hmm. we saw that with uh with with, with Garrett today uh, we saw it even with with Blau at times and it's by design and like you said on defense we're seeing the same thing and it's refreshing very very so in the meantime go Browns Mike it was a pleasure as always and we will talk to you guys again soon this week This episode was supported by Reddit for Business. You want the right attention for your business, but you don't know where to get it. It should be a place where people actually take the time to engage with your ads. Why not try Reddit? They seem to have the whole engagement thing down pat. With over 100,000 communities, Reddit users are some of the most active online. Meet your potential customers where they feel most at home, with 90% of users trusting Reddit to learn about new products and brands. Just go to redditforbusiness.com slash vox to learn more.